Welcome to Season 5 of Getting Into Good Trouble Podcast, where we get into good trouble so you don't have to. Each podcast episode will explore an ongoing or recently resolved international protest. This episode of Getting Into Good Trouble Podcast will focus on the COVID-19 restriction protests in, in and around Romania starting in 2021. My name is Leighton. My name is Hannah. And my name is Cade. Restrictions and protests of COVID-19 in Romania and Europe. Why were the restrictions placed? And was it because COVID was really bad? The restrictions were placed because East Europe, including Romania, was dominated by quote-unquote left groups and was very defensive of the vaccine idea. Not only were the restrictions put in Romania, but similar restrictions were placed in Europe and they were very similar to Romania's restrictions. Now, did the protests help the restrictions? Yes. The protests not only in Romania, but across Eastern Europe, including other countries like Germany, had violent and ongoing protests compared to the Black Lives Matter protests in New York. All these protests eventually dropped the COVID restrictions. Some of these restrictions include mandatory masks everywhere you went. Uh, If you travel, you must quarantine for 10 to 14 days. After testing positive, you had to self-isolate yourself, including your family. Uh, You weren't allowed to travel between countries inside of Europe and out. Uh, They had to be uh, in their house early and couldn't leave uh, at a certain time, so just curfew hours. Most restaurants and no hotels were open, and all religious places were closed. As you can see, these restrictions were very harsh, and the people in the countries who had these restrictions thought so as well. And so they began to protest on October 2nd, 2021, due to a massive fire fire and intensive care unit in a hospital that was mainly hosting COVID-19 patients. These protesters went on to march in the streets that block and end up blocking traffic, honked their horns and chanted freedom along with green certificates equal dictatorships and other very harsh phrases towards the government. They were also not wearing masks, so that was also a really bad thing for the rising COVID cases. Um, the main end date of uh, COVID in Europe is February of 2022 with approximately 2.8 million cases and 64,000 deaths were reported among its population of only 19.3 million people. So this is all the information that we found regarding the restrictions and protests, but we will be get conducting an interview with a specialist in the field. Yes, the specialist is my uncle. His name is Michael Impink, and he lives in Paris. Um, He's lived in many countries along Europe and has written many articles, papers about um, COVID restrictions and how they affected the whole continent of Europe. We're currently doing the protests about the COVID restrictions in Romania, and we're wondering what was like your experience with that. We saw you wrote an article about it, but we just wanted to know like more about it. Yeah, so I currently live in Europe. Um, I'm not specialized in Romania at all, but I certainly know a good bit about some of the regulations across Europe and the European Union, so I could tell you more about that. 
but we would very much enjoy that. Okay. Well, um, the first piece, I was living in Germany during uh, most of COVID, and so they had numerous lockdowns that occurred at much greater strength than they did in the U.S. And so the lockdowns would have a curfew. They would say you can only travel within, you know, a thousand meters of your house. They had different types of um, visits you could do, which enabled you to go even further if you needed to go to a hospital or to a pharmacy. But they're very strict. And uh, unlike the U.S. and Europe, you actually have a census where you're connected to your residence, your address, and so they could look at your ID and know if you were too far from home. So it's much more strict. You see in the U.S. where people have an ID from a different state or they have an ID from a different house, and in Europe it's much more closely regulated. Um, and so it was a greater intensity than it was in the U.S. and certainly much more disruptive. Um, I think Atlanta, the lockdowns um, barely existed, but certainly didn't exist with a force that would prevent you from going to visit family or friends. Uh, Certain lockdowns in Europe also required you only to visit some people in your bubble. And so they had this idea of um, a cloister or a group of um, maybe one or two households that could see each other. But beyond that, it would be very difficult to go meet up with just a group of friends from numerous different households. Yes. For um, me, when COVID hit, we got school completely canceled. Like We couldn't go to school. Um, my parents couldn't go into their office for about a year or two. Um, we also were strongly encouraged of just not leaving the house. Like if you're going to get groceries, get like order online, they'll bring it to your car and that kind of stuff. I don't know about you all. Yeah. Yes. Like my neighbors, I couldn't see them. Uh, we were only allowed to play in the street. Um, we had to be in our house by a certain time. But, but so was that government regulated to some degree? Did you feel like you would have gotten in trouble with the police? If no, you did it, was, it was really just like oh, yeah. uh, recommended and like everybody yeah. just did it in like America. But in, um, in Europe, we know like it's pretty much forced on people. And uh, So they would monitor it. They'd have checkpoints certain places. So if really? you were driving um, and they would look to see if you were more than, you know, a certain distance from your house, depending on what you're doing and ask you questions. Um, in Europe, the buy groceries online wasn't as big of a thing, and many people don't have cars within cities, and so you'd still have people going every day to the grocery store, um, which is kind of a common occurrence where you would have people in masks going in and out of the grocery store. So that was less strict in many ways, though I think the grocery stores here still remained open, um, but then you were able to access, uh, I mean, based on how much more money you're willing to pay for groceries, it, it, excess groceries without the risk here in the U.S. a bit more easily. Okay. Were you in um, Were you in Europe at the time that these uh, restrictions were placed in America? Yeah, so I was, I was um, there were two sets of lockdowns that were quite large in Europe and so the the paper that we had written and so we uh, I co-authored a paper with um, a few other researchers at um, Harvard so Rafael Sadoun and Jeff Pulzer and we looked at the um, the lockdown restrictions, the first round of those restrictions in Europe and how it impacted communication. So trying to determine the disruptiveness of COVID and what that had implications for workers. And so you mentioned that your parents stayed home and your parents were, um, you know, not going into the office. And so this had um, real implications for how businesses ran and how organizations collaborated. And so information flows through communications through organizations. And so what we wanted to look at was how long these initial lockdowns lasted. And I wasn't in Europe until 
kind of after those lockdowns began to loosen up in June. Um, but then again in, in December, you saw with the next wave of COVID that was quite um, detrimental that the lockdowns came back and, and in some places even in more force. Um, really the findings were that this was very disruptive to information flow and you find that people shifting online, they would work longer days, you know, this could make you um, possibly a bit more fatigued at work because you are no longer just going to the office from 9 to 5. Maybe you're actually working from 8.30 to 7.30 is when your last call is, but you're having to make lunch for your kids or your family. You're having to go you know, deliver groceries to a, a neighbor. There's lots of other things that probably were happening in the middle of the day uh, that, that were unaccounted for. And so it's, it's changed how people worked um, just because this was so disruptive to their everyday lives. Okay, so um, another thing we noticed when researching um, the restrictions over in Europe was that not a lot of people wanted to get the COVID vaccine. Do you know about that? Or Yeah, there's, there's greater vaccine skepticism in Europe than in the U.S. Um, I think now it's actually such that the rates of getting vaccinated are, are higher in Europe. There's certain parts that are, are less high, so usually Eastern Europe, so when you mentioned Romania, this is probably one of the more skeptical areas. And so Germany was once divided into East and West Germany, and even East Germany, um, the part that used to be more Soviet controlled, uh, is less likely to be vaccinated than Western Germany, which is much more uh, similar to Western Europe. I think the rates in France are quite high, um, certainly Switzerland. Certain areas are, are more similar to the US, and then certain are lower, I think. The highest vaccinated part of the U.S. is the Northeast. I think down here in the South, it's such that Europe may be more vaccinated than the South. Yeah, down here in the South, their uh, vaccination rates are a lot lower up than compared to far west or up north. Yeah, and so some of this is just skepticism with uh, not trusting the government. And so if you think back to kind of the Soviet government, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they uh, said a lot of things that weren't true, and so I think the skepticism makes people not believe that the vaccines are, are safe or effective or good for them. And so where you have more trust in government, uh, such as like more Western parts of Europe, more trust in science potentially, um, you would see that the rates are higher. So um, we knew there were protests in Romania due to all, all these restrictions. Were there, do you know if there were any protests in other parts of Europe? that? Was costing yeah, huge protest. Um, so I live in France currently in Paris, and so there, there are tons of protests there. I, I wasn't there at the time. I was, uh, as I was mentioning, in Germany. In Berlin, there were tons of protests. So that's the capital of Germany. Even in smaller cities uh, across Germany, there were huge protests, mainly with the second wave. And so the first wave, people understood this is really important. We, um, we need to lock down. But then I think once that uh, came back and they realized people uh, enjoyed the social interactions and certainly there were mental health benefits of not being locked down and being able to see people with these very intense restrictions uh, preventing that, where you were left with um, some desire to go back to normal and lots of images of the U.S. which was not actually following lockdowns very strictly at that point. Um, and so that kind of played into this rhetoric and I think it played into a bit of the polarization between the left and the right politically because you could see similar nationalist groups in these countries in Europe protesting against the 
um, the stringent, uh, I guess, left in, in would be the comparison yeah, to the U.S., but the ones that can't Democrat, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And it is, because it's different, they don't have Republicans or Democrats there, but they still have this, like, nationalist right, which would be similar to the Republicans, and this very um, more liberalized uh, uh, left. And so the liberalized left, of course, would be the ones that are fighting to have these lockdowns to protect kind of the order of these older people and... Um, there's one country that was an exception in Europe, though, and this would be something interesting to look at more is Sweden. And so Sweden actually didn't have these strict lockdowns. Um, and so there are lots of reasons why they chose that. But uh, they had a lot more older people die initially earlier on, and then they fared a bit better later uh, because they didn't really have the spikes because the lockdown would end and everyone would go out and get COVID. And so you had these kind of jagged spikes. The restrictions were like cause of fear or more like control? Well, I think it was, and this is just my personal opinion, it was more about control. Um, though they're probably related, right? So I think that there was this idea of hospitals were not going to be able to handle the influx of patients. And so you saw that certain countries, particularly um, very efficient countries like in the Netherlands, where they actually have uh, a good control over patient flow, they have less hospital beds. Germany, on the other hand, has more hospital beds. And so the lockdowns were trying to prevent those hospitals from being overwhelmed. So it's fear of that occurring, but also more control over the situation. By locking down, they could begin to get a sense of how many hospital beds they had uh, or ventilators they had. Because at this point, it was before the vaccines, and so people were still getting very, very sick. Um, and they, they probably wanted to have some control and then use that to placate the fear around them. Yeah, I know here in um, Georgia, we were having a lot of um, overflow in hospitals uh, due to COVID. And because of that, they weren't actually allowing anyone to be admitted to the emergency room if you had lower than a 104 degree fever. Yeah, so that's, that's something that I think the lockdowns could have helped with, and I think that's why they had the initial lockdowns in the U.S. as well, as you saw, I mean, from the very early days of COVID, it overwhelming the system in Italy and the New York, big cities in the U.S., and uh, certainly the U.S. is known for having a large number of hospital beds per population, and so for it to overwhelm the U.S., more um, efficiently run medical systems like Canada, which have, I, I don't know, some proportion, I think it's like 70 or 80% the number of beds uh, we have here in the U.S. or the Netherlands, um, where you have this um, focus on getting people in and out quickly and, and less slack resource, you would end up having bigger issues. How effective were the protests um, going towards the restrictions and like, did they work? Um, how long did it take for them to actually uh, stop the restrictions all in all at the end? Yeah, so I think the protests throughout Europe did actually impact um, the regulations. You had large numbers of people getting in the streets. This was all happening at a time when there were lots of other protests too, because it was coinciding with Black Lives Matter, so you saw that in lots of big cities. Uh, and so the, the government, I believe, is responsive uh, to these protests, probably more so in Europe than the U.S., because these are um, kind of they have a, a history of protesting, a history of these large-scale, you know, march, march around and uh, um, 
declare freedom, but then also the, they become quite violent quite quickly. So thinking about some protests in France and Germany, they're burning cars, they're burning buses. Um, we saw some of this in New York with Black Lives Matter, but I think the U.S. doesn't protest maybe to the same degree, and so you could end up getting um, some amount of um, some, some amount of pushback that made the government decide to end things earlier, or simply enforce it less well. I think that's all the questions we have for you today. Well, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank, thank you for, you for having me.